Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Now, I know we've got kids in the service today, and hopefully you can learn from my mistakes. But I'm going to share just a couple of instances where uh, I have made boo-boos. Has anyone else ever made a mistake and you got in trouble for it? So I'm with friends then. Who said every day? Someone said every day, are you married? No, 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 I shouldn't say that. Um, when I was, I was year eight and uh, there was, you know, growing up as a young boy, there's kind of the, the, the influence of those around and the, the push towards peer pressure and uh, trying to fit in and trying to be like everyone else. And uh, there was, going through my school, there was this group of kind of rebellious young men who were testing the limits of uh, rebellion in all different areas. And anyway, they started, this group, they started to uh, steal things from shops. And disclaimer as well, kids, this is wrong. Please don't ever try this. You can learn from my mistakes. But they started to steal things from shopping centers. And uh, it started out with like little uh, Coke cans or different things from IGA or whatever it might have been. And then it escalated to uh, key rings. And uh, there was this racketeering group within my school who were stealing key rings from shopping centers. And I know what you're thinking. What on earth were they doing that for? But I got involved in this racketeering group. And anyway, one time I had walked into, who knows King Kong? Who remembers a shop called King Kong? Yeah, King Kong back in the day in Mirabuka. That's where I used to, I went to Mirabuka High um, for a while. And then, anyway, I was in King Kong and I was like, this is my first time of ever trying to take anything. And uh, I got really, really nervous. And anyway, I walked over and I saw a key ring that looked pretty cool. I picked it off the stall and I thought I was swift as putting it in my pocket without anybody noticing. And then I quickly went to walk out of the shopping center. And next minute, there's a guy standing in front of the door saying, what's in your pocket? And I was like, there's nothing in my pocket. But as he apprehended me, My whole life just flashed before my eyes and I thought, I'm going to jail. Like I'm literally going to be arrested and I'm going to spend like the next 14 years in a cell with a guy called Bubba. And then when Bubba asks me, what what are you here for? I'm going to have to tell him that I stole a key ring whilst he's stolen cars. And I knew it it was a gateway. First it's key rings, then it's robbing banks. I could see the way that I was going, but it all flashed before me, as he said. And I was like, how did this guy know? Was was this the Lord, like, giving him insight? And then he showed me the mirror that was in the corner of the shopping center with which he was watching me from the moment I walked in with my hands in my pocket. So I was busted on that occasion. Fast forward, so I wasn't a Christian at that point in time, just in case anyone in the, in the congregation today is thinking, who is this guy that is speaking right now? This grand theft. Uh, grand theft keyring. Anyway, fast forward to when I was a Christian, I had an, uh, another encounter 
where I, we, we used to do a thing as a church, we'd go into the city and we'd actually make meals for the homeless and we'd just go and spend some time with the poor in our city. We'd cook and then we'd go and play chess or play games with um, streeties, guys that lived on the street. And anyway, in the conversations that I had with these guys on the street, uh, there was a, a group of people that were living in like a really run-down old, uh, broken-down old building. And I was asking them, you know, what do you guys need? Is there anything that we can do as a church to kind of help you guys? And um, they were like, well, we'd love some mattresses if you could get some mattresses. And I was like, man, I could get some mattresses. And so I put into play, I was going to go and get all these mattresses and bring them back to these guys. Anyway, I hired a trailer and then I got a friend and I said, all right, we're just going to drive around the streets and look for mattresses. And it just turned out that on these, this time that we did it, it was like Vergeside Collection. And we ended up picking up like four or five different mattresses to take into the city to give to these guys to, uh, so that they could sleep on a mattress. Anyway, we drop them off in the city. A couple of weeks later, we get a letter from whoever it was, the, the government officials in the city asking why you have been dumping rubbish in the city with a fine for a couple of hundred bucks for dropping off these mattresses. And you know, there's a bit more of the story in this, but we were at the point of saying, well, you know what? We feel like that was the right thing to do, and this is the reason that we did it, and if we had the opportunity to, we would do it again. And anyway, they dropped the fine, so we didn't have to pay the fine. But the first time, I obviously got in trouble for doing the wrong thing. The second time, I feel, and if you work for the government, you may think differently, but that's okay, I feel that I got in trouble for doing the right thing. Now, it's one thing for us to get in trouble for doing the wrong thing, but it's a totally different thing for us to face consequences for doing what we feel is right in God. This was the testimony of the early church. They were charged, given the, the message of the gospel, and they were called to go into all of the world and to preach this glorious message to see people come to know Jesus. But that message in many ways became illegal in their context. Preaching the gospel, going and telling people about Jesus, speaking about the name of Jesus, ended up being something that would get them into trouble. So we're, I want to read some scripture this morning, and I want to give a little context to it, because we see this start to take place in Acts, the book of Acts, as the gospel goes out into the world. And we see that in Acts chapter 4, some of the apostles are actually arrested for speaking the name of Jesus. Okay, so in Acts chapter 4 verse 18 it says, So they called the apostles back in and they commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling everyone we cannot top, stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. So they get in trouble, they get arrested, they get brought before a court, and they're told you cannot do this ever again. And their response, which seems a little bit 
arrogant almost is that you want us to obey you or us to obey God. At the end of the day, we're going to obey God over what you have said. Now, this isn't disrespect. This is actual respect to God who had called them and sent them out. So they've been arrested once. Then we're coming into a place in Acts chapter 5. And what's happening now is that as they've been released from uh, where they were being held, that they've gone out into the world and again they started preaching the name of Jesus. And it says just before where we read in Acts chapter chapter 5, it says that uh, there was many miracles that were being worked. People were being healed. The sick were, were bringing things to the, the apostles and they were being healed. And then what ha- happens is that it catches the eye again of the religious leaders of the time. So we're jumping into this place here at Acts chapter 5, verse 17. So they've seen all this stuff taking place. They've already been cautioned, told, you can't preach the name of Jesus again. And then they come back and they start doing exactly what they were told not to. Acts chapter 5, verse 17, it says, The high priest and his officials, who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. It's important to take note of that. They arrested the apostles and they put them in a public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night and opened the gates of the jail and brought them out. Then he told them, Go to the temple and give, this mess- give the people this message of life. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple, as they were told, and immediately began teaching. They've been arrested. They've been released. Now they've been arrested again. They've been brought again. And they've been, this time they've been put in a public jail. And it says that an angel of the Lord came and opened the doors so that they could leave that place. Pretty miraculous thing that takes place right there. We see that the, the religious leaders at that time, it says that they were filled with jealousy when they saw and they heard what these guys were doing in the name of Jesus. Religion doesn't set people. And so when the religious see people coming to a place of freedom in Christ, it says that they were filled with jealousy. Now, in different parts of Acts, you'll read that they said that they did this, that the Sadducees, the Pharisees, all of these religious groups, they said they did this to stop uproars, to stop uprisings. But the Bible actually gives us insight into their real heart motive. They were jealous. They were jealous of what was taking place with these apostles, the miracles they saw, the word of God that was being preached. People coming in droves in salvation. They were jealous. Religious people often misjudge moves of God because they haven't seen it and they can't manufacture it with their own religion. And so they see what God is doing and they're like, whoa, this is this starting to take off. It's starting to cause a stir. And so then they want to stop it. Now, they lock the, the apostles up. And I asked us the question this morning. If you're going about your business, doing what God has called you to do, how would you perceive it to then be arrested and put in jail for doing this? I mean, what would your response be? Would you think, oh, that's unfair? Would you think, oh, this is, you know, this is a bit inconvenient for me? Would you think that this is not God's plan? 
Would you be thinking like, what, 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 what is actually going on here? I'm, I'm trying to ask, what would you perceive if you were following Jesus, doing what he had called you to do, and then you, were, then you suffered as a result of it? Or you were locked up as a result of it? What would you be thinking? What would you be thinking? How do you perceive it? Do we see moments when we face opposition when people disagree, when people cast us out because of our beliefs, when people disconnect or when people try to punish you for your faith, how do you perceive that? Well, that can't be God's will because God's will would never be that we experience that. No way. You see time and time and time again that the apostles, those who were following Jesus, experienced times of tribulation, trial, difficulty, suffering, and they embraced it as part of the journey. Let me say this, that where there is his will, there is his way. You might have heard the saying before, where there's a will, there's a way. Well, where there is his will, there is his way. They had been called to go and preach the gospel. And so they were following the will of God for their lives. They were following the plan and the purpose of God for their lives. And that led them to a place where they were thrown into jail. They were arrested. Is that God's will? Well, if they're following His word and they're following His will then whatever takes place, they're going to be in a place where they are still in relationship with him. And what could be an inconvenience, what could feel like a challenge, can actually become an opportunity. And as we follow his will, you will start to see his ways. I think sometimes we kind of ask God, show me the way out of this. I'm now in prison, I'm being, I'm being persecuted, I'm going through this trouble. We look a lot for the way out. But maybe we need to look for the will of God in the situation and lock onto his will. God, what is your will in this situation? What is your purpose? What is your plan in this moment? Because when we surrender and we submit to his will, I, can, I, I encourage you that you'll start to see his ways outworked we often ask God give me the way forward give me the way out without submitting ourselves to his will and his purpose our culture is this cotton wool culture where we're just like any kind of suffering any kind of challenge God I just don't want it anymore and I understand that I feel that too and it can be really really difficult it's I'm not trying to downplay the, the challenges of life. But in those places to surrender to his will, God, what is your will in this? And if he shows you something different than that thing, then begin to believe that he'll bring a way out of that situation. So they just surrendered to his will, and then all of a sudden they're arrested, and then all of a sudden an angel appears. Angel comes to, the, to them. They, we don't read that they prayed for this. We don't read that they asked to get released. This is just God outworking the next step of this journey. 
and he opens the prison doors to them, and they leave. We read on then, and we'll see that the, uh, those who were charged with arresting them and holding them in uh, the prison, they go back to have a look. They go to bring them out to, the, to be on trial again, and they realize, oh, hang on a second, these guys aren't here anymore. And they're like, but we locked the doors. We were pretty, this is a pretty secure place. Somehow they have left. And so then they come back, and they find them again. And they arrest them again, and they bring them before the, tr- the, the same court again. So now we're on the third time of them standing before this, this same court, being told again, do not preach the name of Jesus. Now, some of us might think, oh, they should have learned their lesson by now. Because if you were faced with it not once, not twice, but three times, would it affect your faith and your continuing to follow his word? Because that's what they were doing. They were obeying what he had said. Remember that angel that said to them, go to the temple and give this people the message of life. And so they did it again. And they got arrested again. Don't quit on the second time. Don't quit just because the first time it didn't work out. If that's what God has said to you, if that's where he's led you, if that's what his word says, then continue to persevere. Continue to persevere. Be encouraged to continue to persevere. Don't give up. Continue to follow him. It's important. But then we come into verse 29 and it says, But Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him. That's pretty uh, personalized there. You killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as a prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is given by God to those who obey him. When they heard this, the high council was furious and they decided to kill them. So this plan to kill them would have kind of stopped them. They were going to do this, right? But then it says one, of, one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious law and respected by all of the people, stood and ordered that the men be sent out of the council chamber for a while. So he sends them out, and then he says to his colleagues, Men of Israel, take care what you are planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was this fellow Thaddeus who pretended to be someone great. About 400 others joined him, but he was killed, and his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. After him, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too, and his followers scattered. And this is the words that he says to these people. So my advice is to leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, soon it will be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. It's amazing who can stand up for the purposes of God without even realizing that they're doing it. Gamaliel, who was a well-respected leader says these words to these guys 
And he points them back to two occasions where there had been uprisings, where there had been popular leaders who had risen up and got people together and people had followed them. And on both of those occasions, he makes the point that when the leader was killed, the movement died off. Both times, he says he was killed and then the followers went away. The other guy was killed and then the followers went away. Remember, these guys are preaching about a Jesus who was killed, hung on a cross. And so his, his reasoning makes sense that if Jesus was killed, then just give it some time. And they'll just fall away. They'll just give up. But we understand that Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus is alive. And Jesus rose. And the difference there becomes that those people who did die, their followers just drifted. But because Jesus is risen, Jesus is alive, the movement continues to go. The movement will continue to happen. If God starts it, no man can stop it. If God initiates it, no man can stop it. Those words that he said, this is my advice. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it would soon be overthrown. That's true. And it's not just true for them, it's true for us. If we try to do things merely in our own strength, merely on our own wisdom, Merely because we feel it's the right thing. Merely because we want to do it. Guess what? After time, it'll be overthrown. Any move of man will eventually come to an end. Even the most uh, amazing moves of humanity that we've seen, they all come to an end. Empires have risen and empires have fallen. The most mighty of all, they, they rise and then they fall. Anything that is merely of man has an expiration date. Take this to our own lives. If we try to just do things that we think are good in our own minds, in our own ideas, and then they fade and fall, you can possibly think, oh, yeah. I'm moving and working in my own strength. But the flip side is also true. He says to them that if this is from God, then you will not be able to overthrow them. You will not be able to stop them. Because no man can stop what God starts. God is the most powerful being to ever be and will ever be. And what he initiates we do not have the power to stop. So whilst in one side, we've got to be cautious that we don't want to do things just out of our own motivation, out of our own ideas, our own strength, we should be encouraged that if we go with the leading of God, then what He initiates, what He starts, He will bring to completion. And no one can stop it. When God opens doors, men cannot shut those doors. Some of us are believing for miracles. Some of us are believing for things to take place in our employment situations. Well, let me tell you, if God opens doors, man cannot shut them. And God can open doors that man cannot open. What happens here? This movement doesn't die off. In fact, it gains greater traction. It gains greater momentum. And this movement continues to where you are sitting right now. 
It didn't, in fact, fade. It may have gone through seasons, generations, across nations, to be where it is right now. Because what God has started, no man can overthrow. The church of Jesus Christ, by the powers of hell, nor by the powers of human, because he said that he will build. And what he has started will continue. I want you to be encouraged this morning that if God opens it, if God says it, if God does it, then you can have faith and trust that he is good to finish that which he started. If it is truly a work of God, truly a move of God, then you can, be, you can have faith that he will continue to work it to completion, which is what he's doing with his church. Think about it. Think about it. If this was up to us, we would have stuffed it up so many years ago. I mean, we have. How many times have, has human mankind messed up the, the, the church? Come on, most of us in this room have experienced it before, where someone in your old church, it's funny, you know, did something, said something, or the old church was like this, or, or, or our history, what we've experienced in the past. Because when we rely only on human wisdom, we mess it up. But no man can stop what God has started. And so Jesus will continue to build his church. But we have, to be, we have to give ourselves some grace and some compassion and gentleness as well. Because I don't actually believe you can stuff up God's will. I don't think we're that powerful to be able to stop and stuff up his will. He will continue to outwork his will. He will continue to do his plan. He will continue to work out that which he has purposed and planned. We have the opportunity to work alongside and to come under his leading, to submit to his will that we would see his ways outworked. But what he starts, he cannot stop. And the church is alive in many different various nations, does it, do you ever stop to wonder and think about that? One of the, of the things that I love about traveling is going to visit different congregations in different nations and not understanding a word that is said, not understanding a, a song that is sung, but knowing the Spirit of God is there, the same Spirit that is here, the same God that we worship is being worshipped with every tribe and tongue. That's not a man-made thing. That's not a man-made, it can't, humanity, we're not good enough to do that. But he is, and what he starts, no man can stop. Some of us are feeling a little hesitant right now in things that are taking place in your life. You're unsure, should I step, should I stay, should I step, should I stay? If you discern that it is God in that moment, I encourage you to step in faith. Take that step of faith and watch what He can do. Watch what He can do. Only God can open some doors. 
And maybe we've been knocking with our own strength. We've been trying to knock through doors that God's saying, no, it's not the time for that. There's something else for you. If it is of Him, even you yourselves may find yourselves fighting against God. I don't want to fight against God. I don't want to find myself fighting against God. Fighting my my will against His will. Trying to bring Him into submission to my plan. It sounds stupid coming out of my mouth. But maybe I pray that sometimes. Lord, let this take place. Lord, let this happen. No, I just want to find His will. What is His will in this situation? What is His will in this moment? God, let Your will be done. Let Your kingdom come. But this is, this is what blows my mind. And this is where I guess we may need a bit of a paradigm shift when it comes to the idea of challenges and even suffering for Jesus. Listen to what happens in verse 40. It says, the others accepted his advice, Gamaliel's advice, and they called in the apostles, and they had them flogged. Take note of that. They had them flogged. So they didn't get off scot-free. Then they ordered them never again to speak the name of Jesus, and they let them go. So this is like the third or fourth time they've been told, don't do this again. And then they let them go. Verse 41, the apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Read that again. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and to preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. Now, I was putting myself in that, and I was thinking, if this all took place, what would I be rejoicing at as I left? I reckon I'd be rejoicing that I'm free now. I reckon I'd be rejoicing that I'm no longer in prison. I reckon it would be pretty cool to rejoice that an angel opened the door. I reckon I'd leave with that sort of you know, rejoicing in my heart. But it says that they rejoiced that God had counted them worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. Just sit with that for a minute. When was the last time you rejoiced because God counted you worthy for suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus, for being persecuted, for for being wronged, because of your conviction. Do we rejoice in that? Or do we pray, God, take it away. Make it easier. It just, I, I, I couldn't comprehend that at first, that that was their rejoicing. God counted us worthy of suffering disgrace for his name. And perhaps it was attached to the fact that they were flogged because their Lord had been flogged. And Jesus had told them that these men are going to at one point flog you in their synagogues. To suffer for his name's sake, to share in his tribulation, 
to share in his suffering. For those who share in his suffering will also share in his glory. And they rejoiced. They left there happy. They, were, they, were, they thought this was incredible. God actually counted us worthy to be a part of this. It, it kind of changes your mindset a little bit on some of those moments that maybe we experience rejection, maybe we experience persecution. To actually think, man, this is a blessing. This is a gift. This is God's grace to us that he would allow us to experience that. Some of you are thinking, is this guy on drugs? Would God really? They were like, yes, this is the blessing. I would have been like, man, an angel. Kyle, an angel, bro. It got me out of jail. And they walk out rejoicing. We got flogged. Woohoo! God counted us worthy of experiencing this. To change our mindsets a little bit, that God can be glorified in the moments where we think perhaps He can't. That God could be glorified in the struggle, in the prison, in the flogging, in the persecution. That God could actually be glorified in those moments that we're like, God, take it away. Paul prayed three times, remove this thorn from my flesh. I don't think it's bad to you know, desire different things to be taken. But God says to him, what does he say? My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. Friend, as we follow Jesus, there will be times when we experience challenge, when we feel like running away, when we feel like walking in a different direction, where we even may feel, God, take this from me. But submitting yourself to God and to His purposes is the most important thing that we could do. Surrendering to Him and understanding that He actually is the gift in suffering. That He Himself, His presence, is the gift to us in those moments of challenge. That He Himself, the one who was beaten, and persecuted, and flogged, and tried, and crucified. That He Himself is our gift. And He is the gift of grace to us in all challenges, in all seasons, in all situations. But if our mindset is not aligned with His, with His Word, then we're going to fight it. And I don't want to find myself fighting against God. Perhaps you've been wrestling. Wrestling with God's purpose. Wrestling with God's will. Wrestling with your situation. 
let today be the day where you surrender. Maybe things change, maybe things don't. Let today be the day where you let go and say, God, thank you for your presence in the middle of the struggle. Thank you that if anything, I'm learning how to hold more tightly to you. Thank you, if anything, that I'm learning how to lean in, to hear your word, to hold on to you when everything else feels like it's falling apart. Look for the gift of grace in those moments of suffer, of challenge, of trial. And hold tightly to Jesus, not to an outcome. If it all changes, then I'll worship you, Jesus. Anyone else pray that prayer? Take my speeding fine away. I'll never speed again, Lord Jesus. The safest place for us to be is in that place of surrender to his will, regardless of what happens. Regardless of what goes on around us, if we are surrendered to his will, surrendered to our God, then you are in the safest place that you can be. You are in the absolute safest place. And that which he starts, no man can stop. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the encouragement we see from those who have gone before us thousands of years ago who experienced trial and testing and suffering and yet, Lord, continued on in the faith to do incredible things and things that have led to us being in this room today. God, we pray that by your Spirit you would encourage us that you would put courage into us to stand in the face of adversity, to stand in the places of challenge, to even embrace, Lord, those moments where we want everything to change. Lord, let us surrender to your will. Let us surrender to your purposes let us lay our lives down afresh for you to do what you are wanting to do in us and through us. Where we have been struggling and wrestling with you, God, I pray for that grace to just release that. To let go and to let you do what you want to do in this place. We have been trying to overthrow you, although we may not give language to it like that. We pray, God, that you would help us to lay those things down. Things that we think we need to hold on to, let us humble ourselves and lay them before you. Lord, we don't want to walk in our own understanding, even as Vicky had read before, to lean not on our own understanding. We don't want to think that we've got it all together. That we know the right path without you leading and guiding. And Lord, we know that it takes courage to let go sometimes. It takes courage to open our hands. 
grace to let go. Grace to recognize and perceive when we've come to the end of ourselves. Grace to recognize and perceive that we have to let go of trying to do it this way, of fighting with what you are wanting. And I pray that in that, as we open our hands and we open our hearts, God, that there would be release, that there would be deep peace that comes, that there would be rejoicing that comes in our hearts, that there would be a rejoicing that would take place in our spirit because we surrender to your will. You do reign above it all. You reign above every situation and every circumstance that we are right now facing and that we will in one day walk into. And so we submit to your sovereignty. We trust in your faithfulness to bring to completion everything that you have begun. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.